Sorry, my computer shut off. That's not good news for you. You might think, well, just if I wing it, I'll go way longer than if. So, it's, yeah, it's, it's not that I have nothing to say. I will have way too much to say. So let me get this open up first. Don't you love the um, decor? Amen. Pastor Tyler and uh, Carla uh, worked on all that, and I love that big old Christmas tree when you come in. I want to tell you something, and I'm not trying to pick on anybody, but I I just want to speak life to somebody here. Um, You know, a lot of times I remember when I, my wife and I love Christmas. My wife loves it more than me. Um, But this is a time to celebrate. Amen? And Christmas lights and these kind of things, and I'm not trying to pick on whatever your traditions are or whatever you feel about this, that's okay. But I'm just going to, I want to speak life to somebody here. You know, people ask me sometimes, you know, Pastor Greg, why do you put up Christmas lights? Like, you know, isn't that kind of submitting to culture? And I say, you know what? It's exactly the opposite. It's celebrating Jesus Christ in the middle of whatever culture. Listen, church, you are powerful and you redeem culture. That's who you are. And so, like, even people have come to me and said things about Christmas trees. Well, Christmas trees, the symbolism is this. You know, I get, I get where the foundations of those things come. But you understand that the kingdom of God is more powerful than any other culture in the world? That you can redeem those things? Amen? Let me just read to you about the evergreens. Because, it's you know, just in case that's a thought for you. Evergreens will grow in a place of thorn bushes. Firs will grow in a place of nettles. They will be monuments to the Lord, a permanent reminder that we will remain forever. Isaiah 53, 13, 55, 13. Church, these things display and they speak of things. Amen? So we redeem the culture and we, 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 we use those things and we say, you know what? We, 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 we have times where we're saying, you know what? We're going to set up a Christmas tree because it displays the evergreen nature of God. It displays the permanence of God. It displays the glory of God. We're going to put lights on it because he is the light of the world. Amen? Okay, that's a freebie. You just take that one. And uh, now I'm going to talk about more spiritual things. The title of the message today is How to Make a Pickle. How to Make a Pickle. You know. I started this series uh, way back in September. For those of you that uh, maybe are coming along new here. That's okay, but I want you to understand where we've been and why we've gone down this series. We, we have been looking at the world, and we understand that we're in the last moments of history. I really do believe that. Whether that's 10 years, 50 years, I'm not sure. God knows the hours, and God knows the day. God understands that. But how ought we to live if these are the last strokes of history? How are you and I to live in that time? We talked about, you know, should we preach more on the end times? And uh, that's good, and we have done that. And if you recall, uh, about a year and a half ago, we did a whole series on Revelation. We had a weekend of a, a great speaker, Dr. Paul Valley, came in and talked about his book, which you can get, by the way, here. Phenomenal book on the book of Revelation. You can do that. It's okay to study that stuff. But you know what I thought, and we thought was more important was this. The most important thing is not studying about the end times, but understanding how to live through them. How to thrive in the midst of them. Amen? Okay, so that's what's important. And so how we do that 
is we live as disciples, and that's why we started this series. I gave you a scripture back in September that was the launching point of this series. I'm going to reiterate it right now, Jeremiah 6.16. It says, this is what the Lord says, stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient path, ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. But you said, we will not walk in it. So the ancient path of the church, church, is doing life with God. That is what discipleship is, life with God. And so this is the invitation, even back in the Old Testament. The thread of the Bible all the way through is that God is for us, God is with us. Will you walk with him? Will you walk with him? And so this is the invitation that you and I are consistently and constantly being invited into this incredible walk with God, and, but it's your choice. You choose it or you choose not to do it. And unfortunately, or not for, unfortunately, but understand religion says if you do these things, you'll reach God. But actually, Christianity says, no, no, God has already reached you. Will you do life with him? Will you walk in opportunity and in relationship with the living God? See, this is what discipleship is. It's taking our everyday, ordinary life, our eating, sleeping, drinking, going to work life, and laying it before God as an offering, doing life with God. I've learned something about my spiritual life in the last several years. And this is um, the first of my confessions today. I tend to be a spiritual sprinter. And um, I'm working out of that, and that's okay. You, see, you look at me and you say, there's nothing sprinting about you. I get that. But in a spiritual sense, in a spiritual sense, I'm, I'm, I'm svelte, I'm lean, and I'm a re lean, mean running machine. And uh, I like those quick jaunts, those quick quick bursts of spiritual energy toward a target. And then when I get there, I'm like, I made it. And then I go into you know, rest mode, and then I go again for another quick jaunt. But how many of you know that's not what God intends? If you want to call this life as a Christian an ultra marathon, that sounds a little bit intimidating. So let's make it a different world, a different word. Uh, the, the, really, the discipleship life is re really with this. It's an incredible thought. It's a long walk of obedience in the same direction. That's good. I can say that's good because I didn't say it. Eugene Peterson said it. <laughs> it's a long walk of obedience going in the same direction with God. That's the spiritual journey and the spiritual life. The book compares this spiritual life to making a pickle. For those of you that don't know, we're in a book and it's called The Good and Beautiful God and we're in the, coming to the end of that book. As a matter of fact, today is the end of that book uh, in our reading, the nine chapters, how to make a pickle. So, of course, you know, it tells you how to make a pickle, and for you pickle makers, you can judge this. It's okay. You get a cucumber. You make a brine, which is like vinegar, salty solution. Sometimes some of you put garlic in it, maybe a little bit of sugar, different things. And uh, you take the pieces of cucumber, and you put them in that and you seal them in a jar and they have to soak in there for six weeks. And after six weeks, you can open that jar and you have a pickle, which sounds spectacular. And I love pickles, so, and I like pickled pretty well anything, so it's good. But, you know, most of us in our Christian life, you know what we like to do? 
is we take the brine and we take the vegetable and we dip it in the brine and we pull it back out and say, I made a pickle. No, all you have is a wet vegetable. <laughs> that's it. And, and how many of you know that's kind of what we do, even, even in th times like this, even in entering into spiritual soul-changing exercises, spiritual disciplines, we try them once, we do them once, and we say, well, I'm done. I've done my duty, Jesus. Now are you happy with me? This is not what we've been talking about. We've been talking about how to become pickled in the presence of God. And I don't mean drunk pickled. I mean, <laughs> I mean filled with the Holy Spirit. If you want to call that being drunk with the Spirit, that's fine. That's actually biblical. It's in there, so you're okay. But the point is, we're talking about spiritual things. Amen? But we like instant things. We want everything to arrive at the destination quickly. But spiritual growth doesn't happen that way. Here's a quote that'll just chill you because it's true, but it's not fun. Spiritual growth is glacier. <laughs> it means it's slow. <laughs> It's slow, it's plodding, it's constantly moving forward in the same direction. But that's not what we want. I'll tell you what we want. We want this. Did you hear that? That was easy. Yeah. How have millions of these buttons sold? Because it's a picture of life. We all want this, right? That was easy. Oh, Jesus just changed me. I've been transformed into the image of Christ, and that was easy. I'm going to tell you there is no spiritual easy button. There is one, but we're going to talk about it at the very end. And it's actually the only option that God's going to give you if you want to become like Christ. But we're going to get there in just a minute. You see, God's not in a hurry, church. Amen? They asked a Bible college professor, Dr. Strong, a student came to him, and he wasn't too thrilled about the four-year journey he would have to go on to get his degree in theology. And he said, is there, you know, is there a shorter course that I can take? And the president just looked at him and said, absolutely. But it, de it depends on what you want to become. He said, God takes 100 years to make an oak but he only takes a few months to make a squash. Do you want to be a spiritual oak or do you want to be a squash? That's really the question. You see, it's interesting because oak trees are, again, interesting because, you know, an oak tree only has a couple months of measurable growth and you need a micrometer to measure it. Only a couple months of the year is a tree, oak tree actually growing. And the other 10 months are solidifying that growth. It's rooting that growth. It's, 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 it's causing that growth to be strengthened in that, in that tree. And, and really, that's the spiritual journey. You know, sometimes you don't even feel like you're growing. You ever felt like that as a Christian? You're like, I'm trying to do these disciplines. I'm trying to walk with God. It doesn't seem like anything's changing. But God is rooting something. God is building upon a structure. He's building line upon line, precept upon precept. He's strengthening the roots. This is what it means to walk with God. This is what we've been talking about throughout this series. 
God is wanting to make oaks. Oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord for the display of his glory. Amen? This is who you are. This is what God wants to do. Are we frustratedly pushing the easy button, thinking I've dipped in the, in the brine, I've dipped in the solution? I come to church once a month. Why aren't I changing? And why are you preaching so long? My once a month time at church is worth a lot, you know. Sorry, the frustration, pastor's talking. <laughs> Let me pray. Let's, let's just start over here. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Holy Spirit, come now and teach us to abide in the vine. Teach us to understand that we have to get pickled, Lord, and that takes time. And we have to slow down in the presence of the Lord. And we have to allow you to solidify the growth that you are building in us. So, Spirit of God, help me to preach with your authority and your power today. Help us to be open to receive. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to receive and to respond to you. Amen. We're going to read a couple stories of a couple sisters. And one of them kind of is a hurried person, always wants things done in a quicker way. And one is a little more relaxed. And we're going to look at their stories in just a second. But let's start with the first story. It's in Luke chapter 10, verse 38. It says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, they came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. Mary chose the one thing that made life truly easier, being at the fit feet of Jesus. Now, in the story of Mary and Martha, we can be tempted right off the bat to think, well, Mary did the right thing and, and Martha was doing something terribly bad, but that's not really what God is trying to teach us in this. We might be temp tempted to think that Martha was wrong, Mary was right. But you understand that he doesn't condemn Martha for her service, but it, he, he's trying to get her to understand there's an easier way for her to do her service. And that's what really we need to learn. And, and, and the thought of the text that's going to come out in all three stories we look at is at the feet of Jesus. You see, this text isn't celebrating the contemplative life over the life of servants, servanthood. It's not saying servanthood is not as good as being contemplative. Can you imagine if we were all just contemplating the Lord's glory all the time, and that's all we just sat there and did nothing? That's not what this is talking about. Because none of this would have happened had we not had servants. <laughs> Amen? And none of the ministries would go on in this church without the servant-hearted people that are serving. And so it's not comparing those two things. What it's saying is there's a way to do your service with the Lord that is in communion with him rather than apart from him. And that's what is being 
talked about and celebrated. You see, what we do with Christ is far more important than what we do for Christ. Doing life with Christ is the discipleship life. That's what this is talking about. See, Mary was occupied with him, but Martha was occupied for him. And if I can tell you, you know, many times that these stories that we're going to look at, all three of these stories, Mary is in the exact same place, and it is at the feet of Jesus in all three stories. And in all three stories, there's a fragrance in the air. And in all three stories, Martha is in the story with Mary. And that's what we're going to look at. The first one we looked at is really about this. Mary sat at his feet and listened to the word, and the fragrance of food was in the air. See, there's two feasts that are being prepared in this passage and we know that the word of god is the food of god jesus called the bread of heaven and and he gives us this bread and this bread feeds us spiritually and so she's at the feet of jesus and the fragrance in the in the house is that food is being prepared but there's a spiritual meal that mary is partaking of and she's being sustained by a spiritual meal and she's saying this is the most important thing that i can do is to be filled with the teachings and the teaching of God. But Martha is preparing a meal and sustaining in a different way. Nothing wrong with the earthly feast that she's building, but her labor is not done in partnership with Christ, but she's serving outside of that sustaining relationship. You see, Martha, it was burdened, but she really wasn't blessed in her service. You see, few things are more damaging in the Christian life than we, when we are trying to serve God without communing with God. When our service makes us hard to live with, how many of you know our service is not in proper order? Anybody figure that out? I'm just spent. I have nothing left. That's why I'm grumpy today, because I serve too much. That's not good. If your serving of Christ makes you difficult to live with, that's not a good thing, is it? And so there's a different way to serve, and this is the invitation that Martha is being invited into as well. If I can tell you one of my primary sins as your pastor, great, pastor's confessing sins again, uh, this is probably the biggest sin I deal with. My biggest sin is that I can be a Martha and not a Mary. And let me explain that to you from a pastoral perspective. So for me, I will approach the Bible sometimes as a spiritual cookbook. And I'm reading the Bible as your pastor to get a meal prepared for you. And so oftentimes I'll read the Bible and I immediately begin to dissect it and uh, put it together and build a recipe and this is wonderful and three points in a poem and then a closing prayer and it's wonderful and there you go. I prepared the meal. But you know, that's really not what it's about, is it? <laughs> really, the approach to Bible study, first and foremost, should be, Lord, I'm here to meet with you. I'm here to be fed by you. I'm here to walk with you in the word of God. 
Because if I feed on you first, then I actually have a meal to present others. And so that's my temptation, constantly. That's not what God would want. See, no matter what you do, for me it's preaching, for you it's working wherever you work and doing whatever you do, uh, God is inviting you to do it with him. That's what discipleship is. It's far more practical than we think. Right? Because if you're a plumber, God wants to plumb with you. I know, it's bizarre. But you know that he is the best plumber in the entire universe? If you're an electrician, he invented electricity. It doesn't get any better than that. If you're an engineer, he's the creator and sustainer of all things. He speaks and it comes to be. He commands and it stands firm. You might want to be an engineer with him. Amen? Maybe you're a mama at home with babies or a father at home with babies. Well, God can help you to do that too. This is the invitation of discipleship. No matter what you do, do it with Christ. That's the first thing that we learn from the very first encounter of the scripture we read for Mary and Martha. Here's the second scripture. Mary fell at his feet and shared her woe and the fragrance of death was in the air. And you can find this in the Gospel of John chapter 11. I'm not going to bring the scripture up because I want to tell you the whole story. I want to paint the picture. I've, I've shared this story many times and you've read this probably many times. The story is the story of Lazarus who's Mary and Martha's brother. They send a word to Jesus, the one you love is sick and so please come quickly and heal him. And of course, Jesus waits two more days before he even goes. And in that time, what happens is uh, Lazarus dies. And he's been dead for four days. For four days, he's been baking in an easy bake oven in a Judean hillside. They did not have embalming principles like we have today. Are you following what I'm saying? This is not good. And so they, they show up. Martha hears Jesus finally arrives after four days of her brother being dead. She storms out to meet him and she says, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then she gets religious. And I know that because it's proved later in the story, but you know what she does? But Lord, I know that even now, whatever you ask, the Lord will give you. And of course, Jesus, knowing her heart, says, Martha, your brother will rise again. She says, Lord, I know, I know, in the last days when you return, he shall rise again. And then Jesus looks at her and says, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will not die. Do you believe this? You know what she does? She runs away. She doesn't even stay. She's like, and she leaves him standing there. Jesus standing there. She's a little freaked out. Why? Because in this story, guys, what's being revealed in Martha is that Lazarus isn't the only dead one in the story. There's death in Martha's heart too in life. There's unbelief. 
There's hypocrisy. And so Jesus is exposing that. And, and part of being a disciple, you guys, part of being a disciple is that God is going to come into your life when you walk with him. How many of you know you're going to see and smell and experience things that are not of the kingdom of God? There are parts of your life that are not fully formed yet. There are issues that you try to hide and cover and pretend are religiously okay, but God is going to expose those things, and if you're going to be a disciple, you better get used to the fragrance of death. How do I know that? How do I know this about Martha? Because you know the rest of the story. <laughs> Jesus goes to the tomb and he says, roll the stone away. Roll the thing that is covering the truth. Expose the thing that they have kept hidden. Expose the death. And what does Martha say? Go for it, Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. No, no. She says, but Lord, no, he stinketh. He stinketh, God. When you're walking with Jesus, church, listen to me. God is going to expose things in your life that need exposing because he wants to bring life to you. I'm going to tell you something that's shocking about Jesus. He is more interested in a resurrection than he is in a healing. He likes healing too, don't get me wrong. But boy, he loves resurrecting dead things. Doesn't that give you hope? That I don't have to hide my junk. I don't have to hide my stuff. I can bring it to the Lord. I just got to get used to the fact that I got to bring my woe to the feet of Jesus. And I got to be like Mary. I got to say, Lord, if you had been here. She says the exact same words as her sister. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. She just presents him the woe in her heart. The loss, the brokenness. And God says that's good. It's a beautiful offering. This is what God wants us to do. To bring that brokenness before him. This is why confession and honesty are a huge part of the Christian life. Amen? Guys, this is a huge issue. That you have to get comfortable with the fragrance of things that are not quite right in your life. And you need to find somebody that you can be in community with, that you can say, would you walk with me? Would you work with me? Because God is revealing stuff that needs to be changed in my life. You know, this is what it says in James 5.16. Confess to one another, therefore, your faults and your slips, your false steps, your offenses, your sins. Pray also for one another that you may be healed and restored to a spiritual tone of mind and heart. The earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. Confess your faults and your slips. Talk to one another. Be honest with one another. This is, church, this is a communal life. We must do life together. Our second value is a ch as a church is to accept ourselves and others while we pursue maturity together. Part of that acceptance is being honorable toward one another as the gifts of God to the body of Christ. 
but also being honest with one another. I think we all have to grow in this. It's a call toward our discipleship and saying, Lord, help me. Help me, Lord. You see, here's the question. Will you be a Martha or a Mary when it comes to the death that is in you? Will you bring it to the feet of Jesus? Matthew 21, 44 says, anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces and anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. I love being broken before the Lord. It's one of the most beautiful, amazing things is when God reveals something that I'm doing wrong, something I've done wrong, a hurtful word I've spoken to my wife, an action I've taken, and for him to reveal it, I call it a beautiful brokenness. Because if I will but bring it to him, if I will but bring it to him, right? Psalm 139, Lord, search me and know me. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. The everlasting way is the veiled way, the hidden way, the way of walking with God. And when he reveals that, it's not to condemn me, but to set me free. If you really believe that, then you want to go to God every day and say, Lord, search me, search me. Take out the junk, take out the brokenness, take out the sin. This is why I've loved the book. Because if you've taken time to do the work of the book, uh, every time my wife and I will tell you that we sit and we talk about the false narratives. And I'm going to talk about them at the end of the sermon. And every time I talk about them, I, I don't talk about them in the sense of, I can hardly wait to teach the church this. I talk about them in the sense of, oh my God, I do that all the time. <laughs> I'm guilty of having that false narrative. Jesus, would you change my thinking? Amen? I talked about that last Sunday. Watch that sermon if you didn't. Here's the last one. Mary came to his feet and poured out her worship. And the fragrance of perfume was in the air. Listen to the scripture. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Good news, if you didn't know the end of the story, he raised him from the dead. Here's a dinner that was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table. Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it out on Jesus' feet and wiped his hair, or his feet, with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. Let's just start off. Where's Martha? She's serving again. But what's the difference now? There's no attitude. <laughs> Amen? She's found a new way to serve. She's found a new way to be empowered by the Spirit, to be in communion with Christ. And her service wasn't a burden, it was a blessing. Amen? It was wonderful now. And, and in that sense, are you following what I'm saying? Martha is now sitting at the feet of Jesus even though she's serving him. 
And where's Mary again? Mary's again at the, at the feet of Jesus. And the Bible records she takes this, uh, this jar of perfume. And this is like, guys, if you're wondering what to get your wife for Christmas, this is it. Nard. Ode to Nard. Now, look it up online, maybe not. Because Nard, a jar of Nard perfume, is a year's wage. I know. And you're like, my wife is worth it. And I'm like, you are a good man, far better than me. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> my wife is worth far more than that, but I'm not going to display it by buying Nard. She just doesn't like Nard. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> if only I knew she loved Nard, then no. A year's wages. The smell of perfume. Can you imagine the fragrance in the air? She pours it on the feet of Jesus. It's crazy. It's costly. How many of you know what costs to be a worshiper of God? In 2 Samuel 24, 24, David is uh, repenting for some sins in his life and the sins in the nation of Israel, and he wants to build a monument to the Lord, and so he goes to this guy named Aruna, and uh, he wants to buy Aruna's threshing floor where they thresh out the grain so he can build an altar to the Lord, and he goes to Aruna, and Aruna says, oh, king, you can have it. I, I give it all to you. Do whatever you want with it. But David's response is a response for the ages. And it's a response that you and I need to hear. You know what he says? I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. I insist on paying for it. Church, worship, followership, it costs us something. Maybe it costs us a little bit of dignity. Maybe it costs us that we have to lay down our fear of man. Maybe it costs you a lot of dignity. Maybe others won't appreciate your pursuit of God. Maybe it's letting go of something good in order to gain what is best. It always costs. Amen? That's what it means to be a member of the body of Christ. You know, here's the thing. This is probably to, just to encourage you. Um, the people who built this church and have sacrificed tremendously to bring us to this place, the Bible says they'll be rewarded in eternity for eternity. But if you're new in this church, if you're brand new here, you haven't paid a dime for the gospel that saved you. Somebody else paid that for you. They were worshipers. Does that make sense? I became a Christian in a church that I didn't spend any time serving in. I didn't spend any time giving toward. I didn't deserve anything. Yet I came into that church because people 25 years before me decided to make a sacrifice to build the house of God that I came and I found my salvation through Jesus Christ. This is part of being a worshiper. It's part of living in the community of faith. This is the invitation that we're being invited to as we've been going through this book. And we're going to go into another book. So you might as well start going with us. 
because we're taking the second part of the book series after Christmas, The Good and Beautiful Life. It's a great book too. But Jesus gives us the only easy button he makes available to the church. Let me read the scripture, then we'll press the button. You ready? He says to me, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. How many, you know, it's not that easy? <laughs> but I'm going to tell you something, and I'm going to plead with you right now. The only thing more costly and harder than a life of discipleship is a life of non-discipleship. The only thing more hard is a life without peace, a life without joy, a life without the power of the Spirit of God, a life of just choosing to do my own thing my own way, my life without the community of faith, that's way harder. Amen? So we're invited by Christ into this. And in all of our lives, we need to understand at all times, there should be three fragrances in your life. The fragrance of food, spiritual food, should be in your life. Amen? That you're being led by the Word of God, and the living Word of God is within you, and the direction and the thoughts, and, and I'm living my life because I know this is the way of the path of life. I know this is the ancient path. I know I can walk with God and with others. And I'm not going to be one in whom the love of most will grow cold in the last days. I'm going to be a red-hot lover of God and His people. Because I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. And the fragrance of my life is that the word of God is filling my life. Guys, we're in the last days and I'm going to tell you, I wish I could tell you more, but I, I'm just going to tell you we are, we are being inundated with false prophets right now. People are being led astray right now and multitudes. And the internet called the Bible is leading people astray. I don't, I'm not condemning the internet, but if everything you're reading cannot be confirmed by the word of God, you're being led astray. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The man who thinks he knows does not yet know as he ought to know, but the man who loves God is known by God. Christmas series is coming, it's good. Hang in there. The fragrance of bread should be around your life, the food. The fragrance of death, just, just for a moment. That fragrance of confession, that fragrance of repentance, that fragrance of realizing you don't have it all together, but you serve one who does. Amen? And that fragrance of perfume, that costly offering of a life of worship, 
This is what we're talking about. It's a lifelong journey of walking with Jesus, but we don't walk alone. We walk with Jesus, and we walk with one another. The band's going to come back now. We're going to close. If you haven't read the first book, The Good and Beautiful God, it's worth the read. And don't just read it like, when is this over? Engage with the word that you're going to learn. The soul training exercise this week is slow down. (laughs) Ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. That's a good word, isn't it? Dallas Willard said that. Again, I didn't say it, so it's got to be good. Ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. We have a choice. For nine weeks, we have been presented with different soul training exercises. We have been learning false narratives and true narratives. Let me just remind you of some of the things we've gone through first week we found out that we don't change by willpower that was the false narrative we actually change by doing life with God and with brothers and sisters in Christ by basing our life on the truth of the Word of God walking with his Holy Spirit that's the Jesus narrative chapter 3 we found out that God is trustworthy and God is good The false narrative is that God is angry and he's always wanting to punish people. No, 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 God is good. And good things and bad things happen to good people and bad people. You're going to have some hard times in this life, Jesus said, but take heart, I've overcome. The hard times are not God disciplining you. We all have cups that we have to drink, church. But don't focus on the cup. Focus on the good God that is with you in the midst of holding that cup. Amen? Chapter 4 and 5, we found out that God is generous and God is loving. The false narrative is that we think we have to earn everything and perform in order to get right with God. But the true narrative is that God is generous with us in spite of our faults and failures. He's always for us and not against us. We found out that God is holy in chapter 6. And the false narrative is that God is angry always and he's always looking to punish me for my sin. And the other false narrative in that chapter we found out is that God is just a teddy bear and he doesn't, he just winks at my sin. He doesn't care about my sin and he lets me do whatever I want because God loves me. Oh, no, 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 that's a false narrative. God hates anything that destroys you. He's a good father. Amen? And so he'll be opposed to those things that you're doing in your life that hurt you. Because he loves you. That's a good thing. The false narrative in chapter 7 was that we work our way to God. But Jesus' narrative is God has worked his way to us. That's the answer right there. Last week we talked about God transforming us. We found out that we are not sinners. But the Bible says you are saints who still deal with sin sometimes, but you're actually translated from one kingdom and brought into a new kingdom, the kingdom of the Son of God and whom he loves. Amen? I mean, guys, do you realize how rich the last nine weeks have been? They've been rich. They've been rich. This is life-changing stuff if we will just but practice it. We talked about soul training through sleep, 
taking extra time to sleep. How many of you know you need a little extra sleep? Find an extra couple hours a week. That's what the Bible says. That's what we need to train ourselves in. I love that it's the first spiritual discipline. How many can relate to that? Your first spiritual discipline is go and get a few more hours of sleep. How many would say amen? Amen, pastor. Thank you. Give me another one of those. Well, here's a few more. Silence and awareness of creation. Just go and, and worship God in the midst of the snow. Though my sins be like scarlet, Lord, you have covered them and washed them clean and covered them like the snow and they're white as snow now, Lord God. How many know that's good? Amen? We can do that. Be thankful. Count your blessings. Read and pray and meditate on the Word of God. We did Psalm 23. I hope all of you have memorized Psalm 23. It's only six verses. It's a life-changing psalm. You can do it. Lectio Divina, which means reading the Bible in divine reading, just slowing down enough to walk with God as you read the scriptures. Don't read the scripture to find God, read the scripture with God. God, what are you speaking to me right now? What are you saying to me right now, God? Reveal yourself to me in the word that I'm reading right now, God. Find margin in your life. Carve out some time for God. Read the entire gospel of John. How many did that? My wife is good. I'm on chapter 17. I still have four more chapters to go, but I'm still doing it. Amen? God isn't striking me dead because I didn't read the entire gospel of John. Isn't that a miracle? Wow. Thank you, God, for not striking me dead. Solitude. Getting alone. Turning off your phone. Turning off your phone. Turn off your phone. <laughs> Slow down. This is your Christmas homework. All of these things. Repeat them. Immerse yourself in the brine of the spiritual reality of Christ. Amen? Okay, so let's pray now because I know that was a lot, but I wanted to summarize. So if you're here today, you're saying, Pastor Greg, I, I tend to be a little bit of a spiritual sprinter. I'll do really good for a little bit, and then I kind of fall off the wagon. But I want to go on a long walk with Jesus, a long walk of obedience with Jesus. Amen? If that's you here today, say, Pastor, I agree with that. I'll go on the long walk, the long journey of obedience with Christ. Raise your hand with me. Both my hands go up. My foot goes up. Every part of me goes up. <laughs> Amen? Because I want to walk with Christ. And in a world where all things are pressing against us right now, there's a place of safety in Christ that I want to live in and I want you to live in. And if you're here today and you're saying, Pastor Greg, I need to ask this Jesus to come in and forgive my sins. I need to start walking in a new relationship with God. You know what? You have to make that decision yourself. Jesus is knocking on your heart. He's done all the work. He's come all the way. And maybe you're watching online and maybe that's you. And, and, and you know what? Right now is your moment. I remember when I made that decision when I was 20 years old in a church service like this. And I remember I had to raise my hand to invite Christ into my life. And it felt like everything was pulling my hand down. But the moment I raised it, it felt the freedom of heaven fill me. If that is you here today, give me a wave and say, Pastor Greg, today I'm asking Jesus to come into my life. I'm scanning across the audience. Let me know. Don't be ashamed of him. He's not ashamed of you. He loves you. Yes. Yes. Thank you for raising your hand. Are there others? Yes. In the back, I see you. 
Thank you, Jesus, for these that have raised their hands. If you're online, there's a button for you to press saying, I made a commitment to follow Jesus Christ today. Let us know so we can pray with you and we can help you in that journey. Amen. We're all going to pray this prayer together with these two that raise their hands today. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die for me. Help me now to live for you. Forgive my sins and let me walk in victory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give the Lord Jesus Christ a hand clap today. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Why don't you stand to your feet? We're going to sing this song in closing. And I just want you to make this a worship song to the Lord. I just want you to see how great and how awesome and how glorious he is as you head into your day. Make sure you come back tonight to the annual meeting, 6 p.m. We're going to be setting the direction of where we're going as a church family, continuing on the journey of discipleship, but what that means for us going forward. It's going to be a great night tonight at 6 o'clock. Why don't you lead us, Pastor? You give life. You are love. You bring life.
church family, we're going to sing that again in a moment here, but I just had this weird thought. If something I said today offended you, it's a moment for you to have spiritual formation and say, Lord, why did that offend me? Don't just say, Pastor Greg's an idiot and he shouldn't have said that. Actually say, Lord, why am I mad at that guy right now? Just a thought. That's a free one. Take that away. Let the Holy Spirit lead you. Let's sing it one more time. And as we sing it, there's going to be some people praying right over there. You can go join them for prayer if you need prayer. Or you can make your way out as we begin to sing this song. Come back tonight at 6 o'clock. Let's sing it, Pastor. Amen. It's your breath in our lives. So we pour out our praise. We pour out our praise. And it's your breath in our lives. So we pour bless you. The Lord keep you. And the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious toward you and give you peace. Amen. The Lord turn his face toward you. Bless you. Those of you that need a touch of healing, go for prayer. Those of you that just need to have something worked out in your mind as you pray together, go join some people for prayer. God bless your day, church family. Amen.